Deuteronomy 6.5, for God so loved the world. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that strength means with everything that is you. So with our ministry, uh, we were called to this ministry. We were actually on a short-term mission down in Nicaragua. And the person there said, start, come here. And I moved down here, and God said to me, no, go home. i got something else for you at home. So we went home. We were praying about it, and Awana Canada contacted me, and we are now with Awana Canada. So 40 below versus 40 above. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Awana is all about know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We want every child in the world to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For a child to know, they need leaders. They need people to, in their lives to disciple them, to train them, to encourage them. And that's our role is to then train the leaders so that they can do that, to build those relationships with the kids so that they would come and serve and, and end up serving in churches like this. They would end up serving in ministries around the world and missions and change the world that way. So each one of us has a part. We can all pray. Every one of us can pray. Um, and we can serve, and we can share the gospel. We can teach these children to go out and to share the gospel in their schools, wherever they are. We ask that you pray for us. As we've said, our area is huge. Uh, one of the biggest prayer requests is that we can find some help, uh, particularly in Manitoba, but we're willing to take help anywhere. And also on that note is because we have a large area, and I don't know how many of you have been watching gas prices and everything go up, so our finances is another big need. And we thank you guys for all that you've done for all your support. My name is Gary Clatterbuck, and as I introduced myself before, and I've been working with the North American Baptist with especially uh, Odessa, Ukraine Seminary, and Moscow Theological Seminary. So this has been a very interesting time. People ask me, when's the war over? That's a good question. I pray it happens soon. I actually pray every day that I'll pick up uh, my phone and see that uh, Mr. Putin has returned to room temperature and peace will come to the world, at least in that part of the world. Uh, I don't know when it's going to end, but it's coming. I think it's coming sooner than we think. And then we have new work to do. We're looking for people uh, to help us in Ukraine directly. If you have skills in construction and cleanup and all that, can you imagine there have been 800,000 residences demolished? And uh, we're going to work through the seminary at churches that they have helped. There have been 400 churches demolished and over 6,000 civilians killed in Ukraine. So when it happens, we need a supply of workers. If you're a counselor, psychologist with special work in PTSD, you're going to be needed because those people have lived with the threat of Bombs dropping, friends literally dying, family dying, and it's a horrible, horrible mess. So if you're willing to uh, 
finance yourself or get people to finance you to come over and help and you've got some skills, fill out this form that's on the uh, information table. We'll appreciate it. One of the things that hit me the most as I've heard of what's going on in Ukraine is a graduate of the seminary who now teaches math at a high school in Sacramento. He goes back every summer to Ukraine and does different programs. So this year was totally different. He ran last month a camp, a camp for widows. They had to cut off the enrollment at 300 widows who had lost their spouses during this war. 300 and their kids and their thousands that'll need this kind of help. It's a devastating. So that will happen. Hopefully, we can get work on that. There's a counselor over in Calgary who contacted me. He's a Christian Missionary Alliance man. He said, I understand you're looking for people in PTSD who can train. And he says, I've got that experience. So he, even today, via Zoom, is training uh, at the seminary on Zoom and training pastors and students to go out and be able to help those who are suffering from PTSD. Uh, the seminary is open again. They have 136 students, which is about a third of the normal, but they're meeting in person. They've had to take a break because somebody threatened to use nuclear weapons, and they had to say, what do we do now if this happens? But they're up and running. Russia, they've got about 30 new students in Moscow Theological Seminary and about 1,000 around the country of Russia in the learning centers. They're going on uh, in, in the midst of this. So what's next? Keep praying. Keep giving. There's going to be tremendous needs. Uh, you cannot imagine the hurt in people's lives. One person put it this way. He said, every person almost that came into her, the church, she's a counselor in Kiev, who comes into the church seeking uh, help, seeking shelter, seeking counseling, has faced death either personally, in their family, or on their own corner, in their own home. And she says she's led more people to the Lord during this time than any time in her whole career in ministry as a church counselor. So keep praying for the folks over there. They're doing God's work in amazing ways, and we appreciate your support and encouragement. I'll be out there afterwards. If you have any questions, love to talk to you. Thank you. morning again. Is this thing on? Yeah, okay. It has been seven and a half years since our family departed Northgate and Edmonton and moved to Saskatchewan to work with Moose Jaw Youth for Christ. And the first three and a half years, I was um, the, the program manager at our group home there. And for the last three and a half years, I've been doing community outreach work, developing and launching Moose Jaw Youth for Christ and developing outreach programs and discipleship programs for youth there. And I feel really honored and privileged to have been called by God 
to do this, and that I serve, that we all serve a God that has plans and purposes that go farther beyond than what we can ask or imagine and has the ability to see those plans through. I have lots of information out at the booth there. You can come find me after the service, and please do come say hello to me. I'd love to, to meet some new people and, and re-meet or <laughs> meet you guys again, see people I haven't seen in a long time. But this morning, I want to tell you just one of our stories from what's been going on recently here in Moose Jaw. And one of our highest values at Youth for Christ is that we see the hope and potential in every young person that walks through the door of our program, and we want to see them living fully in Christ. And about a year ago, we renovated a space in a basement of a church and opened a drop-in for junior high kids and after-school drop-in. And the first day, um, this, this kid walked in, this boy walked in, and we could tell that this was a hard kid. And as we found out, this is a kid that everybody had lost um, hope in. He was a kid that they would say, he is hopeless. He was angry and violent. He's a thief. Uh, the kids at the drop-in were scared of him. At school, he had become so violent that he was actually not just expelled from his school, he was expelled from the school district. He wasn't allowed to attend any of the public schools in Moose Jaw. And that's the kid that walked through the door on our first day of drop-in, and that's exactly the kid that we wanted to walk through our door on the first day of drop-in. The youth were afraid of him, again, yeah, for good reason, and this boy was only 12 years old. I liked him immediately. <laughs> We bonded over ping pong. For some reason, ping pong and checkers is the big hit at <laughs> drop-in. And we played lots of ping pong together, and we quickly found out that we both had a story in which our dads had died when we were young. And so we immediately sort of bonded over that, and it actually softened his heart towards me and allowed me to start speaking into his life. Over the year, he continued to struggle with anger and, and violence, but he would come to drop-in, and he'd be respectful and he would listen to us. I did have conversations with him where I'd pull him aside and be like, man, you can't keep stealing stuff from people at drop-in. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I know, I know, I'll stop. <laughs> but we could just see the hope and potential in this kid. And as, as leaders there at the drop-in, as we would meet and talk together, we'd talk about him and we'd say, he's such a great kid. He just steals sometimes. <laughs> and he's such a great kid, he just gets into lots of fights. But we had to have that mindset as, as we kept working with him that he was created by God and loved by God and there was hope in him and there was potential in him. And as we got towards the summer, uh, we offer YFC camp each summer and this was our first summer where we were going to be bringing kids from Moose Jaw because of the, the pandemic and, and this boy decided he was going to come to camp. And what I love about YFC camp, I love camp ministry, but with YFC camp, we get to build relationships with them all year, we bring them to camp. And then I was their counselor at camp. So I spent the whole week with him. And that week, he gave his life to the Lord. And we saw this kid soften, not just his heart, but literally his physical features soften. And other people at camp noticed it. And God's doing a transforming work in this kid's life. Eight months earlier, this kid was hopeless. And no one really wanted anything to do with him. And now he's walking with the Lord. And we come home from camp, and we get to keep having that relationship with him. I get to keep mentoring him. We're going to be meeting on Saturday mornings uh, for breakfast to read God's word together and, and to disciple this kid. And I was able to go back to one of the schools that he attended to and meet with his principal, and I was able to tell her what is happening in his life and the changes that we are seeing, and she just couldn't believe it. And so that's what we do. We see the hope in these kids that walk through our programs, um, whether they're hopeless or they've lost hope, and we bring 
we bring the love of Christ to them. We share that with them. So as I wrap up here this morning, I have a challenge for you and a prayer request for you. The challenge is to look for the places in your life where there is a hope deficit, in the people around you, the, the, your workplace or wherever, and bring hope into those, spa- those spaces. And the prayer request is, in the last three and a half years in our community and discipleship programs, we've grown from just a handful of youth to last week we had over 100 youth involved in our programs. And this really is a case of the harvest is, is big and the workers are few. I'm the only staff member with Youth for Christ. And I have amazing volunteers, but I need someone to join my team. So if you could pray that God would send someone to join my team. Um, and as you're praying, I would really encourage you to consider, Lord, am I maybe that person that you're sending to Moose Jaw to work with Nathan? So thanks for your time this morning. look forward to seeing you after the service. morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, My wife Tanya introduced us earlier. My name's Paul and my wife is Tanya and we're missionaries in Romania. Uh, And we're fresh off the plane. We just arrived back in Canada uh, late yesterday morning. I think it was 1 a.m. Edmonton time when we arrived at the international airport and we landed uh, and we came out and what did we see but that beautiful view of Tim Hortons, and I knew I was back in Canada, and I was happy to be here. Um, and so it is, it is good, it feels good to be home, but uh, we've been serving as missionaries for eight years, which is hard to believe in Romania, and now we're hitting our home assignment. Uh, this is our first real home assignment we've ever taken, and so we get the privilege of spending the next eight months uh, here in Canada and the United States. Um, It also means that this weekend we have the privilege of being with you all, so thanks for letting us be here. Uh, And we do want to thank you because Northgate Baptist has supported Tanya and I and partnered with the ministry in Romania for the entirety of our eight years there, and we're seeing the fruit, we're seeing the life change take place, and we want to thank you for that. Uh, I know last Easter, um, Northgate Baptist took an offering And you sent that off to us, and it's gone towards building our main lodge. That's our biggest building on site at Camp Falcon Rock that's going to allow us to host hundreds of more people every week. Uh, And even just a few weeks before we left Romania, we had a 1,000 people in that building, uh, which that building should not hold a 1,000 people. Um, But thanks to your support, we got more concrete and rebar, so we can hold a thousand people, but, um, but that building's still coming along. It's a huge process. We're still working at it, uh, but we do want to thank you for that. That's, lives are being changed because of that, and know that you're a big part of that. Uh, this morning, I want us, I have the privilege of speaking for the next couple minutes, uh, and I hope that's all right. I get to share the word, which I feel privileged about. We're going to look at a passage, or a few passages, from Exodus chapter 3, from the life of Moses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to look at who Moses is and sort of his response. Um, But there's this word, as you're turning there, I want to teach you a new word this morning. We sang about it already, which is great. Uh, And it's this phrase in English that's here I am, which in English that's pretty easy to say. The Hebrew word, uh, when I was a Bible college student, I had to go to Hebrew lessons at 8 a.m. every morning. 
It's, uh, it's 11.18 here this morning, so you don't, at least it's not 8 a.m. learning Hebrew. It's 11, so you're a little more awake. But the Hebrew word I'm going to teach you is chenini. Can you all say that? Chenini. If you want to be a good Hebrew uh, speaker, you've got to spit. So spit on the person in front of you and say chenini. Uh, it's kind of like Hungarian, which is the language we speak in Romania. How are you, which sounds so nice, is hojvoj, which means you got to spit at somebody when you're asking how they're doing. It's the same with Hebrew, chenini, and it means more than just here I am. That's how we say it in English. But when you look at the Hebrew word, there's a sense of behold, I am here. It's, it's this proclamation, this devotion of saying, I am here, I'm listening, I'm available What is it, Lord, that you want to say to me? And as we sang about here I am, there's so much more than just saying, yeah, I'm here. You know, there's this call to devotion. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Before Tanya and I moved to Romania, we went to Romania in 2012. Uh, I was serving as a pastor here in Edmonton. Tanya was a teacher. And we took a short-term mission team there. And um, we went to a village and we were running children's programs and there was a village that had never had children's programs before. And so we went in there and we were doing a couple days worth of BBS. And there was this little boy named Felix. And, uh, and Felix, I love Nathan's story because uh, Felix maybe was not to the extent of the boy you were talking about. But Felix was the worst kid at VBS by far. Uh, and he was trying to fight every kid. He was the smallest kid. And so anytime he'd try and fight all the other kids, he'd just get beat up. But then he'd go to the next kid and... And, and he was causing so many problems for us that we were kind of making the decision, like, what, what are we going to do with Felix? Like, we, we can't run this program if Felix uh, is there. And so I said, well, okay, I'm going to hold Felix's hand the entire day. If I hold his hand, he can't fight anybody except for me, and I'll beat him up. So um, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. But uh, so I'm holding Felix's hand the entire time. But even as I'm holding his hand, like any kid he would pass, he'd try and kick him. And uh, he was a community kid, and, and so had never been to church before. And we get to the end of that program and, and that week, and we're asking the kids, you know, what, what, what was the best part about the week? And most kids are putting up their hands saying, when we played soccer and when we played this game. And Felix, he put up his hand, and he said, uh, and he just started talking. And he started talking in Hungarian for a really long time. And uh, so we're worried, you know, what's Felix saying? And we turned to our translators. We didn't speak Hungarian at the time. And we said, so what's, what's he saying? And they said, He's sharing the message. Like, he's sharing everything he's heard this week. That that's the most important piece for him is, is the gospel message. Uh, and it was just this profound moment. And, <clears throat> and uh, Tanya, at the end of the day, said, I think God's calling us to move to Romania. There's this here I am moment for her. And as a good husband and as a good follower of Jesus, I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> no, he's not. And that was our here I am moment, and that was my response, and that was Tanya's response. And we all have these moments. We have these moments where God speaks to us, and we say, here I am, and and what's the response? Are we going to say, like Isaiah, here I am, send me? Uh, Moses had one of these moments, right, in Exodus 3. The Lord calls Moses, and what's his response? Here I am, Lord. Now, this is what I want us to look at for a couple minutes this this morning. I'm going to do it as fast as I can. Um, I have six points, which any Baptist missionary that has six points are all thinking, oh boy, that's a problem. (laughs) We're going to get through this as quick as I can, and I I promise we'll do this quickly. But I want to look at Moses' 
objections. We're going to look a little negatively, and then it'll turn positive. But we gotta, we got to start negative. So there's, Moses has six objections to this here I am moment in his life. And I, and I think when I've studied these six objections, I, I, maybe it's just me. I have the same six objections often in my life. And maybe you do too. And maybe you can sympathize with a couple of them. But I really want us to look at these objections that, that Moses had. And so the first one, we're going to open up to Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, the Lord, what happens is the Lord sees the troubles of the Israelites. And he looks at Moses and he says, Okay, Moses, I hear your prayers I'm going to come and I'm going to save the people of Israel. But how is he going to do it? Through Moses. And so he looks at Moses and he says this in verse 11. Or before that he says, Moses, I'm going to do this through you. And objection one comes in verse 11 when Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's objection number one. Moses looks at God and says, who am I? Like, why, why me? Uh, it was the exact same moment that Tanya said we should move to Romania, and I said no. The question was, who are we that, w- that we would be the ones to move to Romania? And, and I think what we see in this is just this, uh, this inability or this, this weakness. What, what Moses is looking at is himself. He's quite inward with this, with this call. He's looking only at his own inability. He's looking only at his own weakness rather than looking externally. And we all do that. We say, who am I? The Lord calls us to do something. We say, who am I? But what's God's response? I love in each of these objections, God has a response. In verse 12, God's response is, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What's God's response? He's saying, Moses, it's not actually about you. It's not about your strength and weakness. It's not about your ability or your inability. What it is, is that I'm going to be with you. Don't look internally at yourself. Look externally at me. Who's the one sending you? That's the question we need to think about. The great news about our relationship with the Lord The Lord is with us. The Spirit of God lives in us. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it is he who does immeasurably more than all we could ask imagine. What? He who is at work within us. It's him. It's it's the Lord. There's one thing that that I've realized living in Romania, and that's that I cannot deny the power and the might of God. I just can't. We've seen him uh, work over and over and over again. He's just... This, he's incredibly faithful. He provides every time. I just cannot deny the presence of God and the work of God any, any longer after living in Romania. When we first moved to Romania, it was within the first couple months, uh, we have a boiler system. We have to heat our home with wood. Um, we don't have natural gas. Uh, and so we have chickens and pigs. And I mean, it's, it's kind of like moving back in time, about 60 years. Um, and so we heat our home with wood and we have this little boiler unit that you put with wood in there, and then it heats up the water, and it goes out. And I didn't know much about this unit, because whenever it's cold, you turn up the thermostat, and that's all that you need to do. And so I went down there one time. I was making noise, and the pressure gauge was far too high, and which, again, I don't even know what that means. And uh, I thought, what should I do? 
well, I'm a man, I should have some tools in my hand to fix it. I don't know what I was going to do with these tools, I just knew I should have tools. And so I left the room where our boiler is, and I closed the door, and there was an explosion. And I woke up, and there was water and glass and everything around, and I stumbled outside, and Tanya came and was like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know, and I'm covered in water and blood and glass, and she's like, where are your shoes? I'm like, I didn't even know, you know, what happened. I got blown out of my shoes. And we cleaned everything up, and, you know, the house was a mess, and we just kind of realized that in that moment, I could have lost my life, Uh, and it was a scary moment, but in that moment, I think it was this God moment where he made us realize that he is in control, that I should have lost my life. I should have stayed in that room and been blown up. If I had stayed on the other side of that door, it would have been catastrophic, But there's just this moment of God is in control. He is in control and he is with us. And when we say here I am to him, there's this assurance that that he is with us. Uh, Hudson Taylor has this great line that says, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. We're all weak men and women. But we can do great things for God. Why? Because we've reckoned on God being with them. Second objection. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So the second objection is, who's sending me? Like, under what authority uh, am I going? And, and authority is something that's important, right? Well, I have an older brother, and he would come to me sometimes, and he'd tell me to do something, and I'd be like, I'm not going to do that. Now, the moment he came to me and would say, hey, dad told me to tell you to do this, then I'd say, okay, I should probably listen. Right? That there's something about authority that's, that's really important. And that's basically the question that, that Moses is asking. If I go to a million people, like why would they listen to me? Like under what authority? You know, I, hey, I'm Moses. I don't know if you know me. But all you a million people have got to follow me. You know, then what do I say? And, and that's where the Lord is saying, this is his response to him in verse 14. God said to him, great verse that we know. We shouldn't all know it. I am who I am. Say this to Israel. I am sent me to you. It's one of those moments, you know, where my brother would come and be like, dad sent me to you. Uh oh. (laughs) That's more scary. Uh, and, And that's what happens with Moses. The Lord says, I am has sent you. And what I love about this is, again, as we get to the New Testament, as we get to the work of the Spirit in our lives, Paul tells us in Romans 8, it's the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit of God in us, no? That's the authority in which we go out in. So when the Lord calls us, and He says, I want you to speak to that person, or I want you to step out into full-time ministry, I want you to go do this, by which authority do we go to? We have the Spirit of God that goes with us. That's the authority of which we step out to. It's not Paul and Tanya going to Romania, but it's the work of God if we know Christ. Then Moses has another objection. You know, I think most of us would look at that and say, oh, great, okay, God's called me. It's his authority. Let's go and do this. But Moses has more objections. Now maybe you would too. I certainly do, but in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my The Lord did not appear to you. And so this is objection 3. He's, he's saying, what if they don't believe me? So I go and I tell them, but, but they just they don't believe me. And, 
And I think what we see in this, and we all have this, is an incredible fear of man. Right? I mean, it's one of the leading causes of us not sharing the gospel. Is, well, what if, what if they don't believe me? I, I remember, you know, months after we got back from Romania and Tanya said we should move to Romania. And I remember over that next year of us being back in Canada, the Lord was working in my heart. And I remember one day just kind of coming to this realization, finally agreeing to that call that that's where he's calling us to. And going to Tanya and thinking, what's Tanya going to say when I say, I think we should call, move to Romania? There's kind of this fear of, of what her response is going to be. And I went to her and I was like, I, th- I think God is calling us to move to Romania. And she said, of course. And I was like, wow, that was easy. And she's like, I told you this like a year ago. And as a good husband, I had not remembered that. But, but that was, I remember that season of us, you know, then sharing with our family and our church. And I was working at Central Baptist in Edmonton and, and then speaking with the NAB and, and going to those in Romania. There's this fear of, what if people don't agree? You know, what, what, if, what if they don't agree with this call? What if, what, you know, when we go and share the gospel, what, what if they reject it and turn it down? Uh, and, and God has a great response in this, and we don't have time to look at it, but the Lord says, you know, I'm going to do two great miracles. He's going to take a staff and turn it to a snake and then back to a staff again, and then he's like, take your hand and put it in your cloak and pull it out. It's going to be leprosy, and then pull, you know, it's like moving to, back to Edmonton, and your hands are white. It's the same thing with the leprosy. And then put it back in your cloak, pull it back out, and it's going to be fine again. So he's saying, I'm going to do some, some miraculous things, and, and, then, and then the people will will believe you. What's remarkable about that is that the Lord does the same in our life. He does remarkable things and transformation in our lives that I think is just a sign and a witness of his work that that allows people to believe us. Now, let me tell you, as being a missionary after eight years in Romania, it's not always easy. It, It isn't always easy. Responding and saying, here I am, Lord, is not always easy. There are times where people will reject you. There are times where it will be difficult. There are times where, where persecution will happen. We, we work in a country where they experience incredible persecution for being a Christian up until 1989. And the pastors who lived through that time, who are good friends of ours, share how difficult of a season that was. It's not always easy. But the question is, in, in that difficulty, do we have an anchor? And is our hope in something greater than just the results been in our Lord Jesus Christ, in who he is. But again, as I was saying earlier, we also have signs. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, as he's talking about us being reconciled to Christ, that we are now new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And so when we go out and share the good news, when we respond with here I am, we're going out as miracles in the transformation that's happened in our lives. And are we living that out in our families, in our churches, in our contexts? You'd think after all of this, Moses would be like, okay, 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 I'll go lead a million people. Maybe you'd say that. I don't know. I don't really want to lead a million people. Maybe you'd be excited about that. But after all this, you'd think Moses would say, okay, I'm ready. Does he say that? No. What does he say? This is the strongest objection he has. But he said, oh, my Lord, in verse 13, chapter 4, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. 
How many of us have said that? Please send somebody else. When I left seminary to become a pastor, I said two things to the Lord. Two I will nevers. I said, one, I will never be a youth pastor. And two, I will never be a missionary. And now we're serving youth in Romania. <laughs> I, I was confident I will never do that. I said that to the Lord. Even stepping into ministry, I will never do this. Send somebody else. And that's exactly what Moses is saying. Send somebody else. And yet, what does Jesus say to the disciples in Matthew 28? That classic missionary verse. He's not just looking at pastors. He's not just looking at missionaries. He's not just only looking at the disciples. He's looking at each and every one of us who have been reconciled. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the call for each and every one of us. There are no I will never statements in the kingdom. We respond to his call in our lives. There's a great passage in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as I was referring to earlier, um, where it says you've been reconciled to the Lord. Then it goes on to say, we don't have time to look at 2 Corinthians 5, but I challenge you to read it later. It says, then you go be agents of reconciliation. If you've been reconciled to Christ, you go then and be agents of reconciliation. Paul goes on to say, you go on and be ambassadors of Christ. That's the call for us. Uh, When I was a kid, um, one of my favorite things about the summer was ice cream trucks. You guys remember the ice cream trucks? And uh, and I remember sitting at home, you know, in the summertime, it would be hot. And uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you'd hear the music of the ice cream truck. And you'd jump up from the couch, and you'd go and borrow money from your parents. And... uh, without them knowing it, and then, <laughs> and then you'd, you'd run, you know, and you'd hear the music, and you'd get to the, the next cul-de-sac or street, and you'd, you'd see it. Not the ice cream truck, but kids eating ice cream. And you'd go up to them quietly and, and calmly, and you'd say, where's the ice cream truck? <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, it's, it's in the next, the next street. It went this way, and so you'd go to the next street, and you'd go up quietly, and calmly to those kids eating ice cream, and you'd be like, where's the ice cream truck? And they'd be like, hey, it went that way. And then you'd get to the next neighborhood, and you'd see it, the ice cream truck. And you'd eat ice cream, and it was the best moment of the summer. But imagine going up to those first kids, you know, so calmly and quietly, asking where the ice cream truck was, and they're like, I'm not going to tell you. Like, I, I got my ice cream. Why would I care to share that? I mean, I'd feel like little Felix in that moment in terms of what my response would want to be to those kids, you know. But you wouldn't do that, right? You've experienced the goodness of the ice cream, and so your only response is going to be to to share that. And I think that's us in the kingdom. I mean, if we've tasted and see that the Lord is good, like if we've been reconciled to him, if we've experienced that redemption that happens in the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ would that not be the most natural thing that we would share? We've been reconciled to Christ. Go and be agents of reconciliation. Go and be ambassadors of Christ. Let me share one last thing and then, and then I'm done. This is Moses' last objection. And we find this objection not in chapter 3, not in chapter 4. We've got, uh, we've got to go all the way to chapter 33. And what we see in Exodus 33 is a new Moses. 
And this objection, I want to say, is a holy objection. This is a good objection. This is the objection we ought to have in our lives. And, and it certainly is a new Moses because, because Moses has seen over the years the great work of God. And so what's happening now is Israel has sinned. Moses was up on the mountain with God. He received the Ten Commandments. Moses, uh, Israel sins. He comes down. The Ten Commandments break. The Lord's angry at Israel. And in chapter 33, verse 15, the Lord tells Moses to lead his people again. But he says, I, my presence will not go with you. That's what the Lord says. But what's Moses' objection? Verse 15. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. This is his objection. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us. He has no more objections about his strength or his weakness. He has no more objection about how much time or time he doesn't have. He has no more objections about who he would lead, how he would lead, where he would lead them. But no, Moses now, knowing the power of God, knowing the authority of God, knowing the heart of God, Moses witnessing the great work of God, Moses seeing God part the Red Sea, deliver Israel from Egypt, Moses testing God through all seasons of life, experiencing God's ongoing provision and faithfulness, has now only one objection, and that's who? Who is leading them? And Moses is saying, you've got to be the one to lead us. If you're not going to go, I will not lead these people. I will only go unless you lead us. And so Moses essentially is saying, I will do anything you ask me, Lord, as long as you are the one leading me. And this is the challenge for us, is would we not be the Moses of Exodus 3 and 4, but would we be the Moses of Exodus 33? That in a real Hebrew, Hineni way, we'd say, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. But it's you that I follow. And you may not be called to lead a million people, all of Edmonton. Uh, but every day, I think we have this invitation. Every day, we're invited to say, Lord, here I am. And the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am with devotion, uh, with a life of honoring you, and a life of following you? And are we willing to do that with our lives? Again, this call is not just for pastors. This call is not just for missionaries. This call is for all of us who have been reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will not always be easy. But even after me coming out of seminary and saying, I will never do youth ministry and I will never be a missionary. Over these last eight years, there's nothing I would have rather have done. It's been the hardest eight years of our lives. but I would never do it any different. Because God has been with us. God has been faithful. And God has been leading us. And I cannot deny the reality and the power and the presence of God. He is a real God. Would you follow him with your lives? Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you lead us, that you invite us, Lord, that you come to each and every one of us and you call us by name. 
In the same way that Jesus, you looked at Levi and said, hey, Levi, come and follow me. Lord, you look at each and every one of us and you say, follow me and you call us by name. And Lord, I pray we would be those that say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And we'd say that with devotion. We'd say that with honoring. We'd say that with proclamation of, Lord, we are following you. And certainly we know there's a lot of, of objections. There's a lot of very good reasons to not follow. But Lord, I, I pray we would be the Moses of Exodus 33 that just says, Lord, we follow you and you alone. If it's not you leading us, we will not go. We will only go where the presence of God goes before us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people who do that. I pray this in your name. Amen.